This morning, I want to speak to you concerning God's unchangeable nature. Theologians refer to this as the immutability of God. The fact that God is entirely different from us. We change. We are not sovereign. That's why the Scripture tells us that we should say, if the Lord wills, I am going to do this or I am going to do that. But when God wills something, it is absolutely sure, it is absolutely certain, and it's going to come to pass. Because God is unchangeable, and He is unchangeable in His sovereignty, and nothing can stay His hand. He does whatsoever He desires in the heavens, and no one can change Him. In James chapter 1, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. We're going to be jumping around this morning from verse to verse. But in James chapter 1, in verse 17, every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. When we look into the heavenly bodies, uh, the, the moon, the stars, and the sun, we sense that there is a change. And we, when we stand in one particular position, in a few moments, our shadow seems to, to move and to change. That is, that is the way it is with us as humans and everything that occurs on this planet. There is to our minds a variation. There's turning. There's change. You know, there's change in the weather. There's there's change in our environment. There's change in the political arena. Blah blah blah. Many changes we we experience. But that's not true with God. He is the God who changes not. In Ephesians chapter one. In verse 11, the Scripture says, Ephesians chapter 1 is a glorious chapter about the blessings of the whole triune God to the believer. But he says somewhat in passing, if you will, in verse 11, in Him, in Christ, you also trusted. We have obtained an inheritance. Okay, a great blessing. As believers, we have a great inheritance. Why do we have that? Because it was being predestined according to the purpose of God. The purpose of God, the eternal decree of God, is the reason, Christian, why we have this inheritance from the Lord. You see, he's just mentioned this, this blessing of our inheritance according to the predestination of God, according to the according to, he says there, the one who works out all things. See that word all? He works out all things 
according to the purpose of His will, according to the eternal, if you will, the eternal counsel of His will. Because God is a sovereign God, He has purposed to bring many sons to glory, and it's because of His eternal purpose that we have obtained such a glorious inheritance. There is no shadow of turning with Him. We can trust in this God who does not change His mind and whose Word is absolutely sure. This morning, I, I hope that this will not just be an academic endeavor, but it will also be a, a pastoral endeavor as we, we gain comfort and, and uh, truth from God's unchangeable nature. I want us to look first of all this morning that because God is unchangeable, we can trust Him in very difficult days. Let's turn in our Bible to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3. The context here is, is that the children of Israel are in captivity. They're away from their homeland. They've become slaves to a foreign nation of Babylon. They're suffering greatly. And yet God had said over and over again that this was going to be His purpose. Remember his word to Habakkuk? He said, surely this will come about. And Habakkuk cried out, Oh Lord, how can this be? You who are holy, can you raise up an ungodly people to discipline your beloved people? And God said it will surely come to pass. So this chastening was part of God's decree. And yet this is the word here of Jeremiah in verse 22. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because of the Lord's faithfulness, His loving kindness, His grace that He poured out upon His people in the midst of bondage, cruelty, and adversity, God is still merciful to His people. Because of His compassions, they, they fail not. And even in the midst of difficulty, and adversity, hardship, trial, they are new every morning. And there is a praise to God in verse 23. Great is your faithfulness to your people. You know, that's what we... We sang about this morning, did we not? The faithfulness of God. In the midst of judgment, in the midst of discipline, we pray for a pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. We ask that God's own dear presence would cheer us and guide us in the midst of difficulty. We pray for strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Because we are part of that glorious inheritance 
And God will be faithful to His covenant people. Come what may. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is Thy faithfulness, Lord God, unto me. That's our song, brothers and sisters in Christ. No matter how great the difficulty, how difficult the hardship, God is faithful to His people. You recall that uh, God was giving His very law to Moses on Mount Sinai. God is faithful. God is sovereign. We ain't. The people were very fickle, weren't they? They enticed Aaron to make the golden calf, and he did. And he said to them, Here are your gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. They were already involved in gross idolatry and immorality even when God was giving His commandments to His people. Let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus. Exodus chapter 32. And the Lord, <laughs> the Lord warned Moses. Moses, I'm going to tell you what's going on down there. These people have already turned their hearts against me. So he warned Moses what he was going to see when he came down from the mountain. Verse 7, they have already corrupted themselves and they have quickly gone out of the way. Reminds me of Paul's words to the Galatians. They had so quickly turned from the gospel of grace. And they mold themselves, they made themselves a molded calf. And this is what the Lord says. He says, Now therefore, let me alone, Moses, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them and I will make out of you a great nation. Start all over. I'm going to destroy this people that I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. Now why am I looking at this text? Because a very cursory look at this may appear that God had changed His mind. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord as God and said, Lord, why does Your wrath burn against Your people? whom you have brought forth of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. And then he says, Lord, your name is in jeopardy here. <laughs> Verse 12. Why should the Egyptians speak and say, well, he brought them out, but he brought them out to harm them. He brought them out of the land of Egypt to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Therefore Moses prays to the Lord. He says, Turn your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Very interesting here. Moses here prays according to God's promise. He pleads the very covenant that God had made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He prays it back to the Father, the one who gave it. And he says, Remember, Lord Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore you made this promise by your own self. And he said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven 
and all this land that I have spoken of, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So, look at verse 14. So the Lord relented from the harm which He said He would do to His people. Did God change His mind? You know, when God speaks to His people in the Scriptures, He relates to them in the only way that we can understand. He relates to us as a human. Yes, matter of fact, the Scripture says that God spoke to Moses face to face. And there was dialogue. There was understanding. God is a... There's three persons within the Trinity. They are persons. And they speak to us in ways which we can understand. And that's simply what we have here. We have God expressing His very sentiments, His feelings of betrayal, just as when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. So God has... Uh, for lack of a better term, we are created in, in His image. And he has feelings and emotions as we do. He understands us. He's not fickle. He, he does not have the uh, passions that run away as we do. He's not like that. But yet He expresses his, his, his desire, His nature to us. I'm angry with His people. I'm ready to destroy them. Maybe it was a test for Moses. Well, go ahead, Lord. Kill them all. No. Moses knew what God had said. Moses knew the promise of God. And he prays that back to him. And God says he relented. But did God change His eternal decree? Absolutely not. He purposed before the foundation of the world to have this people. That's why He called Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees. Nothing changed. But here we have dialogue with God and His people. Showing discontent, anger towards His people. But I assure you, God's eternal decree has not changed. We have a clarification kind of of this in Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 14. This is what the Lord says. For, now here's the decree. He says, For I am determined to, to, to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Yes, the context there is judgment as well. But in the midst of judgment, God remembers His Mercy, I am determined to do good to the house of Judah. God didn't change His mind. He purposed good for the children of Israel as He purposed good for us. We could say the same thing about Hezekiah. You know, the Lord raised up the prophet Isaiah. And He said, Isaiah, I'm sending you to Hezekiah. His days are done. Okay? Tell him to set his house in order. But yet, Hezekiah committed himself to the Lord. He knew the oncoming threat of Assyria that was ready to invade Israel. And he was broken before God. And he cried out to the Lord, really not so much for himself, but he cried out to the Lord, remember, remember Lord, my, my faithfulness to You. I've strived to be obedient to You. And his prayer was a prayer of 
compassion for the people, not really explicitly asking for a length of days, but yet the Lord said there, again, relating to us as humans, I'm going to extend your days 15 years. Okay? That you may be a blessing to your people. And because of Hezekiah's continued ministry, God stayed the hand of the Assyrians until a later time in history. Did God change His eternal decree? No, He didn't. But He still relates to us where we are as human beings. Brother Terry read from Psalm 102 this morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to that psalm. We're not sure exactly what the psalmist who wrote this was going through, but it was a a time of great affliction and turmoil, difficulty. As he cries out to the Lord in verse 8, My enemies reproach me all day long. They deride me. They swear an oath against me. Uh, Verse 10, Because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a shadow, and I wither away like the grass. He's praying to the Lord that I know that I'm of this dust. I'm a man. My time is short. And yet, he cries out because these enemies are reproaching him, ridiculing him, chastising him. But his trust is where? Look at verse 12. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever, the eternal God, and the remembrance of your name to all generations. And yet it appears that in the providence of God, we read in verse 23, this was taking a place according to the plan of God. He says there in verse 23, He weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. It seems that, Lord, You've cut my days short. I said, oh my God, did not take, a, take me away in the midst of my days. You know, I'm only middle-aged. And it seems like my enemies are oppressing me so much I'm going through such difficulty that my days are going to be shortened. But where is this hope? Verse 24, the latter part of that verse. But your years are throughout all generations. Trusting in the eternal God. But you are of old. You laid the foundations of the work of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they are all changed. But you, O oh God, are the same. No matter what the difficulty, God remains the same. And the years, your years, O God, will have no end. Look at verse 28. And the children of your servants will continue, and the descendants will be established before you. Just as God promised His faithfulness to the children of Israel, that God was going to do what He purposed to do with them. that God had said to Moses, we have the same thing here. That God's purpose is going to continue with His servants. There's always a remnant. God is faithful. There's always going to be a remnant, no matter how difficult the days will be. And His descendants will be established 
before Him. As it was in the Old Covenant, so it is right now. And you're living proof of that. That even in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trial, God's purpose does not change. His work is still going on and His will will not be thwarted. Jesus said, I will build My church and the gates of hell shall not break it down. His purpose will continue. Notice almost to say now that the Lord's unchangeableness is, all, is often seen as well in the fact that He disciplines His people. He disciplines His people. In Psalm 119 and verse 95, the psalmist said, I know, O Lord, that Your judgments are right and that in faithfulness You have afflicted me. According to the faithfulness of God, this person says, in your, 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 your unchangeable character, you're, you're faithful in the fact that you have brought affliction upon me. And he also says that it was good that I was afflicted because when I was afflicted, I learned that I should keep your statutes because they're good. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Again here we have the same theme in the New Covenant. The writer of the Hebrews was writing to those that had been dispersed. They were being persecuted because of their faith. So he says to the believers there, chapter 12 and verse 3, For consider Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, lest ye become weary and discouraged in your souls. Here's the encouragement. You have not resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. That's a plus. Has anyone here actually bled for the cause of Christ? I remember having a flashback here when I was uh, preaching uh, in Romania to believers I made reference to this text. And one of the brothers that, uh, that I was doing this conference with said, Brother, you better be careful because there are some here that have actually bled for the cause of Christ. Wow. But nevertheless, we can have this uh, peace in our life that we think our time is difficult. Look at the Lord Jesus who went before us. We have not shed any blood because of our Christian testimony. Verse 5, And have you forgotten the ex exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chases and scourges every son whom He received. The imagery here is quite severe, isn't it? He chastens, He disciplines. Yes, He even scourges. 
That means a whip. Serious discipline go, goes on between the father and his true children. Because he says there in verse 7, For if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. If you are receiving true discipline, that's a proof that you are a child of God. And he speaks about the fact that uh, even human fathers discipline their own children for their own good. Uh, verse 11. Now, from our pers perspective, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful that nevertheless after it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, this is a fact that as we've looked already this morning, in the Old Covenant, we're going to look further in the New Covenant in a few minutes, God has a people. And He's going to bring about His purpose in you. And just as He was working with the children of Israel as we looked at in Exodus and Jeremiah and Lamentations, in the midst of a great difficulty, God was working with His people. He had a purpose that was going to be fulfilled. And we had the same thing. We had the same purpose as children of God. So He rebukes those. He chastens those. He corrects those. Yes, He even scourges those that are His. Part of the big plan, isn't it? Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. We looked at this text rather briefly last week as well. I wanted to look into it a little more this time. In 1 Peter chapter 4, the context again. Here is suffering that these these Christians that were suffering do not think it strange concerning the trial that's come, become upon them that they were partaking in the very sufferings of Christ, uh, and he encourages his people there. That let's re, let's look at verse thirteen. But rejoice to the extent that you're a partaker of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you also may be glad with ex exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, He is blasphemed, but on your part, He is glorified. We looked at uh, Philippians chapter uh, 1 last week. I, I believe it was verse... Uh, 28, and where Paul said the fact that you are suffering before those ones that are persecuting you, and guess what? You're not terrified. You're not shaking in your boots. That's proof to them that they are children of perdition. They're children of wrath. That you are standing there steadfast and strong, bearing witness to God, that is a proof of their destruction and it's also a proof of your salvation. 
that you're standing strong and true in the midst of persecution and in the midst of judgment. Look at verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the Gospel? What's he saying here? In the midst of very difficult days, whatever's going on in a nation, so oftentimes God is working in His sovereign plan with both the believer and the non-believer. He is preparing the unbeliever for an eternal judgment of God. But He says there in the midst of this, in the midst of trial, difficulty, in any nation, judgment begins with the house of God, with the people of God within that region, within that realm, or whatever. The Bible is also certain when it says God is sovereign and unchangeable that those that are appointed by those that are appointed in any kind of government function are ordained by God. Who's going to be elected? Some have said if Mr. Biden does get the presidency and is ratified by the Electoral College, what's going to happen? I don't know. We may face more censorship. We may face difficult times. We may be persecuted. The economy may not do as well as it's doing now. What's going to happen? Well, I'm going to assure you of this, whatever happens, God is using that because judgment begins with the house of God first. It's a purging that God is working with His people. And God's not going to stop because some fickle dude is in the White House. You see, God's purpose is going to continue with His people. So, judgment does begin with the house of God. God has not changed. His purpose continues. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, I am the Lord... I do not change. Therefore, therefore, we are not consumed. Why is that? Because God has purposed good for His people. And He will certainly bring it to pass. That's where we're going next here. Third, third, thirdly, because of God's unchangeable character, He does not change in regard to the salvation that He has provided for us. Look in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Begin with a very familiar verse. Romans chapter 8. I was going to begin with verse 28, but I just glimpsed over to verse 18. Let's look at that because it's very applicable to our context that we're speaking in. Paul says in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this age 
this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What we're going through doesn't amount to a hill of beans compared to the glory that God has promised us. In His sovereign purpose, He has purposed us unto glory. And He promises us that it doesn't even compare whatever we're going through here with the sufferings of this age. Now, Romans 8, 28. For we know that in all things, whatever is going on, that God is working together for good to those who love God. To who is He working for? To those who love God to those who are definite article, the, to those who are the called according to the purpose of God. God's unchangeable plan here that God is working in accord with us and whatever happens, it's going to work for the, together for the good of those who are the child of God, the elect of God, the ones who are called according to God's unchangeable decree and His purpose that shall not fail. God is working in behalf of those who love Him, who have believed. And then he gives us a great clarification there in verse 29. For, the, for whom he foreknew, the ones he loved intimately beforehand in the eternal decree of God, that he purposed to love some, those that he loved, he says he, did, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, God doesn't have any slackers. He doesn't have any that begin that don't finish. God is actually, has actually purposed to bring many sons unto glory, to bring many children that look like His Son. He's predestined that we would be conformed to the image of His Son, and it's going to be brought about. Because God has a good and holy purpose that does not change and is not subject to the whimsical nature of man. It's going to happen. So we praise God that this sovereign, holy, all-powerful God is working in our behalf. We can rejoice in this fact of what God is doing. It's bigger than our little brains. We can't even imagine it. Again, further clarification in verse 30. Moreover, let me tell you <laughs> the fullness of this. Let me explain it a little bit more. Moreover, whom He predestined, He also called in time and space. He calls those that were predestined. And those He predestined, He justified. He made them righteousness based upon the righteousness of Christ and those He justified. Past tense, interestingly, He also glorified. You see, there we are. The children of God. He purposed, He predestined us that we might be like His Son. In purity, holiness, and righteousness. We believed He called us. We were made righteous. And we were glorified. In the presence of God. You see, the purpose of God does not change. God did not decide in eternity past 
to bring a people unto himself and then change his mind and say, you know, these people, they are so fickle. <laughs> Can you imagine? Wow, sometimes we can't imagine it. Lord, I don't bear the fruits of the Spirit as I need to. I'm going to blot you out then. He doesn't say that, does he? I haven't progressed in my Christian life, Lord, the way I, I should. It doesn't change his mind. His purpose is good to him. And I hope there's nobody there misunderstanding me. This is not, wow, this sounds great. I can just go out here and do anything I want to do. If you're thinking like that, you're probably not even a believer. If you're thinking like that, you haven't grasped anything I've said so far. The glory of God, the majesty of God, the power of God, the eternal decree of God has purpose for you. What's our response? Love, gratitude, thanksgiving, devotion. Can I do anything else? And yet we do, don't we? We do. We fall from Him at times. And we go our own way. And it makes us sick, doesn't it? But let me assure you of this. And this is fourthly. God's unchangeable nature does not change when we sin. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The context here is when God was working with His people, the children of Israel under the Old Covenant. And He says there they were replenished that God blessed them time and time again. He provided the manna. He provided the quail, remember? He provided the water for them. And He says here in verse 4 that they all drank, yes, of that spiritual rock, but in essence that spiritual rock from which they drank from was Christ. It was Christ providing for them. It was Christ that was loving them. It was Christ that was meeting the needs of His children. The faithful God was meeting their needs. And yet, what did they do? They, they fell into lust. We've already read about this morning. Even when Moses was, was being given the very commandments of God, they became idolaters at times. They fell into sexual immorality. Verse 8, they tempted Christ at various times. In verse 9, they were discontent. Verse 10, they complained and they grumbled. They asked for meat and God gave them meat and they grumbled about it. They, they asked for something to eat and God gave them man and they grumbled about it. God provided water and they, they grumbled about everything. Okay? And... Uh, he says there in verse 11, all these things happened to them as examples of the, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages comes. You see. So here we are. We're within the covenant people of God. We're professing to be true children of God. Well, the proof's in the pudding. 
If you are, then you will be progressing. You will be seeking after God. You will be growing in holiness even though you will fail from time to time. So in verse 12, he says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. And this is, and then this encouragement in verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Temptation is common. <laughs> and yet we think the opposite, don't we? We're being tempted. Oh, nobody's ever been tempted like this. Nobody's ever gone through what I'm going through. Yet the Scripture says it's common to man. But here's our word. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trial, God does not change. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make the way of escape that you may be able to withstand it, to bear it up. God's provision is sure. There is grace. There is the power. Last week we talked about Paul's desire to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. That power is there. His Spirit has provided for us everything that we need. And yet, what happens? What happens? Sometimes. Again, believers, by the grace of God, we're better than we used to be. Amen? And yet, yet we sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And if we confess our sins, He writes us off. No. If we confess our sins, He's faithful. Faithful. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the good news. That's the good news of the Gospel, isn't it? I, I still can't grasp it. I can't grasp that. Lord, I don't deserve this. You know? You can certainly see why there are so many Christian denominations that believe you can lose their salvation. Because in accordance with man, that would be true. But we have a salvation that is not of man, that is of God. Salvation is of the Lord, and this Lord does not change His mind. And He brings about that which He has decreed. Again, those whom He has predestined, He has also called. And those whom He has called, He has also justified. And those whom He has justified, He has also glorified. Even when we stray. Even when we sin against this glorious God. Turn your Bibles to Second Timothy. Stay with me here, we'll wrap this up. Second Timothy chapter two. In verse eleven. Paul is quoting here from something that was very common among the first century church. It was a well-known saying, possibly a song that was sung. But this is a faithful saying, for if we died with Him, we shall also live with Him. 
If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. There's a provision of God. If we've died to sin, then alive, made alive to Christ, we have this assurance by the abiding Holy Spirit that we are His and we're going to live with Him. As believers, if we continue to endure, to persevere, that is proof that we have this great salvation and God is working in our lives. But, if we totally deny Him, He will deny us. That's, that's absolute apostasy. A total turning away. If we totally turn away, which many are doing, by the way, in this age that we live in, He will deny us. But here's a glorious, encouraging word in verse 13. If we are faithless, if we are faithless, which we all are, compared to the faithfulness of God, if we are faithless, if we are faithless, unbelievable, He remains faithful. That's grace. That's mercy. That is eternal sovereignty. That is the immutability of God. The fact that God does not change. He is the faithful God. So what should our response be? In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. He will surely bring it to pass. That's why the writer of Hebrews says that we are to consider one another and spur one another on to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Because God has ordained this means of grace. Prayer and the ministry of the Word, this fellowship that we might grow together, that we may live in more victorious over sin, that we would pray for one another, encourage one another, all the more as we see the day approaching. Where is our hope? Where is our hope? You know, this is my only hope, folks, that even though we at times are faithless, God remains faithful to this salvation. He is in control. He is the unchanging God has called this to Himself and given us this glorious eternal salvation in which we rest secure. Therefore we live in honor to praise Him, to love Him, to bring glory to Him no matter what is going on on this earth that God has placed us on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You again so much for this Word. I pray that this Scripture that we've looked at today would be a Word of great encouragement to us, Lord. It's because of You that we are in Christ Jesus. We do not deserve this. We do not deserve Your unending love. We do not deserve any of this, God. We confess to You that salvation is through Your grace and grace alone. But oh God, help us to get a, a grasp of this and quit toying around with, with sin. And, and Lord, help us to be more steadfast and secure in our love and our desire.
to please You. Oh, Father, we just say thank You to all the promises in Your Word and this glorious, glorious plan that You have for Your people. It's too good to even imagine, yet we believe it because Your Word is true because You are faithful and You do not shrink back from Your promises to us. We rest in Your Word this morning. In Christ's holy name, Amen. Amen. Shall we stand and sing the doxology?